Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 286, recorded on March 29th, 2023. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. We start with GNOME 44, the latest version of the most widely used Linux desktop, featuring some upgrade-worthy improvements. Indeed. Let's start with the typical Wayland updates that we often see with these releases, because 44 is no slouch in the Wayland department. Top of the nice-to-have list is better support, and I mean a lot better support for external monitors, improved handling of window focus, and Wayland or not, everyone can appreciate the continued adoption of GTK4 throughout, dropping legacy OpenGL support from Mutter, and implicit frame-grabbing in Clutter now. You might remember, this is a feature we told you about recently on the show that allows GNOME to see all the events of a pointer or, or touch gesture sequence without losing them to other actors or actions on your desktop. So, what does all of that add up to? Well, simply, butter smooth performance. This time around, the file chooser got a new grid view, and the settings app saw improvements to the device security page, as well as many other pages. But... I'd say the new UI for monitoring background apps inside the quick settings menu is the most noticeable interface change with GNOME 44. Together with a background app monitoring portal, the effort is aiming to provide modern Linux apps with a smooth way to indicate their activity. Basically saying, I'm performing tasks while you're not looking at me. So users can be informed of what's going on on their system even when all the app windows are closed. Yeah, this is going to be something that I think will evolve a bit. It'll be interesting to watch. The GNOME software app also saw some nice improvements land. With a collection of overall UI enhancements, pages will also display faster, and reviews on the individual app pages will look a lot nicer. Also, a bit of Flatpak housekeeping happened behind the scenes. Flatpak runtimes are now automatically removed when not needed, say, if you use GNOME software to uninstall a Flatpak application. GNOME Web has been converted to GTK4, and the Maps app got some new abilities, as did the console app and a few other quintessential GNOME ecosystem applications. It's really one of those wide releases with 44. While there are definitely some deep improvements in there, it's kind of a collection of many nice higher-level improvements, which should make it a worthwhile upgrade whenever it ships in a distro near you. The UbiPorts project announced the release of Ubuntu Touch OTA 1 Focal this week, a highly anticipated release of the mobile operating system now based on Ubuntu 2004. Now, before you get too excited, only five devices can get the Focal FASA Ubuntu Touch OTA 1 update right now. The Fairphone 4, the Google Pixel 3a, the Volaphone 22, Volaphone X, and Volaphone. However... Ubiports said this release could work on Android phones with Android 9 or newer, so there is some potential. All right. Uh, The Ubuntu Touch OTA 1 focal release uses the Lomiri UI, which is a fork of the Unity 8 mobile interface, which is now created and maintained by Ubiports. They aim to make Lumiri compatible with other distributions besides Ubuntu in the future. So I guess this means my vision of Unity 8 is truly dead, but long live Lumiri. Something like that. Moving on to some other things worth mentioning in this update, the switch to systemd for managing the system, a new system for notifications, and the addition of Waydroid 
for running Android apps. Those sound like some legitimate improvements. They also have a new way of porting devices, and they're using more recent versions of GCC and Qt, as you might expect, which makes updating Ubuntu Touch to the next Ubuntu LTS release hopefully an easier task than it had been. My hope has always been that once the project reached this milestone, we'd sort of see a new era open up for them. And I'm hopeful that happens. And I'm looking forward to hearing your results out there, audience. If you get a chance to try OTA One Focal, let us know. This week, we learned the Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix is now an official Ubuntu flavor. And we'll join the other flavors in the next Ubuntu release, 2304 Lunar Lobster. This new flavor is made by Joshua Pizak and other Linux fans who love the Cinnamon desktop environment. Yeah, they've tried this before, actually, uh, several times, but it just never really worked out in the past. But now Canonical has finally agreed to make the Ubuntu Cinnamon Remix an official flavor. And this the way this always kicks in is with the next release. It doesn't happen immediately with the current release traditionally. And I kind of think it's terrific to finally see this. Ubuntu Cinnamon's lead developer, Joshua, has worked hard on this project, been trying to get flavor status for a long time, and you just kind of got the sense by watching his journey that this was a fundamental goal, a major milestone for him and the project. As for what comes next, well, the Ubuntu Cinnamon team needs to make daily ISO images in order to get ready for the Lunar Lobster release and join the Ubuntu 2304 beta release that's coming up this week on March 30th. And they have good company as they're not the only new official flavor with the 2304 release. Ubuntu Unity received official flavor status last September. As you might recall, Microsoft has a Linux distribution called CBL Mariner that they use for things like the cloud, Edge, and WSL. They started making it public two years ago, and it was initially very basic. But recently, they've added additional features and packages that are making it more powerful and more valuable to a broader user base. And this week, Microsoft released a new update with more Python and Perl packages, free font in there, and some security fixes as well. They also updated some other packages like Rust, Vim, Apache, and Redis. We speculated that Microsoft might slowly build this out and add more and more features to CBL over time. It seems we're seeing that, and in some ways, I guess it's fascinating to see Microsoft work on its own Linux distribution. Imagine telling yourself that a decade ago. But you can't help wonder where this all goes next. You can check out their GitHub page today, though, for more details, or if you want to download the ISO image, it'll work on your x86 system. Docker has reversed course on their controversial change for open source projects that we covered last week. They write that they came to this new understanding after listening to feedback and consulting their community. Customers who upgraded from a free team subscription to a paid subscription between the sunsetting announcement on March 14th and the announcement of the reversal will automatically receive a full refund for the transaction in the next 30 days, allowing them to use their new paid subscription for free for the duration of the term they purchased. In addition, Docker notes that they have received and accepted more applications for their Docker-sponsored open-source program in the past 10 days than they did in the previous year. 
linode.com slash LAN. That's where you go to get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account. And it's a great way to support the show while you are checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting with the best support in the business. Real humans every day. And I do mean reliable. I would notice if things go down. You would notice. You wouldn't get the show. Things wouldn't work right. And anything, anything that we're going to build that is listener-facing, we run it on Linode. And the great part is they're 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscalers that want to lock into those crazy esoteric duopoly platforms that are always trying to upsell you. And I think Linode has the best performance. Independent third-party benchmark showed out over and over again. They got 11 data centers online today, and they're bringing another dozen online this year. Lots of locations. And they have great features like S3-compatible object storage. A cloud firewall so the data never even hits your rig if you don't want it. Backups that are transparent, easy to understand easy to restore, Kubernetes, Terraform, Ansible, whatever you want to manage it, a nice API, command line client, libraries for your language of preference, or a beautiful dashboard. 20 years or one year of experience, or your first, Linode's got something for you. So go build something, go try an open source project you've always wanted to experience, go enjoy the performance, see it for yourself, and support the show. Linode's what we use, and you're going to love it. Just go to linode.com slash land. Get that $100 in 60-day credit, kick the tires for yourself, and support the show. That's linode.com slash LAN. And thank you to Collide. Collide.com slash LAN. Collide can help Okta users achieve 100% fleet compliance. If a device isn't compliant, the user can't log in to your cloud applications until they've fixed the problem. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. It's that simple. Collide's solution ensures device compliance as part of authentication, which reduces support tickets and IT frustration while ensuring 100% compliance. Learn more or book a demo at collide.com slash LAN. With our last story this week, we're looking at some concerns raised by Google's Project Zero team around specific patches not getting backported to CentOS within a 90-day window Google gave Red Hat. Google Project Zero's security researcher, Jan Horn, recently discovered how the Linux kernel is built for many Linux distributions, which he correctly identified do not receive patches from upstream right away, sometimes ever. Writing on the Project Zero mailing list, someone reminded me last week that lots of enterprise Linux kernels are not based on upstream stable trees. The most notable enterprise Linux distro I'm aware of is Red Hat Enterprise Linux, So I decided to take a look at the kernel tree of CentOS Stream 9, which is the closest freely available thing to RHEL. The CentOS Stream 9 kernel is based on the original Upstream 5.14 release, so I decided to look through for interesting commits in the Linux 5.15 stable tree and check whether the same commits exist in the CentOS kernel tree. And indeed, Horn found that some kernel fixes were missing in CentOS Stream 9. Horn goes on to say that Project Zero would give 90 days to Red Hat to fix this particular issue. But he said that in the future, they may set shorter deadlines for future backport issues, writing, quote, I'm reporting this 
bug under our usual 90-day deadline this time because our policy currently doesn't have anything stricter for cases where the security fixes aren't backported. We might change our treatment of this type of issue in the future. Horn went on to suggest Red Hat should fix the way they do stable kernel releases for their enterprise distro, writing, It would be good if upstream Linux and distributions like you could figure out some kind of solution to keep your security fixes in sync, so that an attacker who wants to quickly find a nice memory corruption bug in CentOS or RHEL can't just find such bugs in the delta between upstream stable and your kernel. Oh, what a utopia that would be. Imagine a world where upstream Linux and downstream distributions are in perfect sync. In other words, pretty close to rolling. (laughs) I kid, but I mean, this does get kind of to the core of what many rolling Linux advocates have raised as a concern for decades. But you see, these enterprise distributions, they're targeting a really specific market with specific requirements. And and I should probably note Red Hat has accepted all three bugs that have been reported by Horn and has assigned CVE numbers to them. We'll have those linked in the show notes. You get a sense that Red Hat is actually taking the report seriously and work is in progress. But you also get the sense that Red Hat sets their own timeline. They don't go by Google's timeline. It is important to note here that Red Hat evaluated these security issues and assigned low and moderate severity ratings. And the scale of severity does play a pretty big role in how fast the patches get pushed out to these kinds of stable enterprise distributions. It's a scale from, this is not a priority, to, oh my gosh, this is urgent and needs immediate attention and patching. And that assessment, well, it's not always evident immediately. Yeah, assessing this, analyzing this, determining the risk factors, and then patching what they see fit is... It's part of what people pay Red Hat for, right? That's what you're that's what you're paying for when you buy RHEL. Red Hat's team decides which releases to apply the fixes to and which releases they might not fix. And sometimes they decide the fix will only go in a minor release that'll be released sometime down the road or some option totally different. I guess I'm just a little disappointed and slightly surprised by what appears to be a pretty big gap in Horn's understanding of how a critical part of the Linux ecosystem is built. I mean, this is not new information. Red Hat has essentially always operated like this. And even Google's own products operate like this. Yeah, suggesting to Red Hat how uh, modifying their longstanding kernel release process would be a good thing, well, that's maybe a bit ambitious at best. But I will say I support the work of Project Zero and security researchers more generally. And while it probably would have been nice to have a little more awareness, especially in the sort of casual write-up that you see over on Project Zero, I do appreciate more transparency around these issues. It might not be a big deal, but I'd rather know that these CVEs exist in my deployed projects rather than not. Yeah, I also really respect uh, some of the information that Project Zero has brought to light over the years. And this isn't a nuanced and, and complicated issue. And I think part of what makes this tricky is there's that 90-day window to shame, right? So you have a Project Zero researcher who maybe isn't really fully up to speed on how any of this works, setting a deadline where they're going to go public with the information. Now, that that serves a, a public good, like like I think you just pointed out, Wes, but it also is kind of some blood in the water to media outlets. I think we already see uh, two posts, this I think as we record, that kind of just run with the headline that uh, 
CentOS is slow to patch its kernel, and that's going to do some harm to the CentOS brand. And that part, I feel like, with that whole misunderstanding of how this process even works and their ability to kind of generate attention raises a red flag for me and suggests maybe some humility and understanding how these projects work is needed. But I think, you know, as for the actual flaws, we should, we should look at that. There's three in total here and it's seemingly they all require local access. And thankfully these flaws do all have a relatively high bar to execute. Yeah. Um, so I went through the Bugzilla reports, and from what I can gather, in late December of 2022, so like just before Christmas, Project Zero informed Red Hat about upstream bugs that had yet to make it downstream into CentOS or RHEL, and they gave Red Hat until March 19th to get it fixed. On January 30th, Red Hat created a Bugzilla report for CVE 2023-0590, with a fix actually published on uh, February 28th. On February 14th, Red Hat made another Bugzilla report for CVE 2023-1249, the second flaw. And then on March 7th, they created a Bugzilla report for the final issue, CVE 2023-1252. Clearly, Red Hat spent time researching and validating the issues with its own team here, something that is made clear by reading through the Bugzilla reports. And I think something else that's also worth making clear is this isn't really just a CentOS problem. The lag between upstream patches of not just the kernel, but all upstream projects and downstream distributions getting those patches, it's a problem for the entire Linux ecosystem. As for the size and severity of that problem, I think that's pretty debatable, and I think it varies between distribution. I also can't help but agree with your points around coverage in the media here, Chris. I think one thing that could have been done better on the Project Zero side was understanding media will pick up on these kinds of events and having a little more proactive communications to make it clear, A, that, you know, this wasn't some slip up or accident, it's more expected behavior on terms of Red Hat, even if you don't agree with the security posture, and B, highlight the potential severity or lack thereof of the actual issues found. I think some of this communication or lack of communication has sort of stolen the focus around the larger systemic issues that you're talking about. I mean, because really... For the purposes of this little mental exercise here, you can kind of think of every package on your Linux box as a fork of the upstream version. It just takes time, in most cases, for new code to make it to your specific version. And, well, we know, or most of us know, that enterprise distributions move the slowest in this regard. Indeed. And yet, people think us Nix and Arch users are the crazy ones. <laughs> Okay, okay, it may not be that simple, but I, I really think that we have to acknowledge, just because I know we're going to have people write in, we understand and realize there is demand for this enterprise release model. That's how this in industry works. It's worked a long time this way. Um, even if it seems bonkers to me, I acknowledge that is the true reality for the vast majority of people out there, at least traditionally. But I think with containerized work applications, immutable systems, things like tooling around Ansible and whatnot, I think that is actually beginning to change. As for how our community is going to step up and solve these problems over time, maybe shorten those gaps between releases, well, I guess we're just going to have to watch and see. So we'll keep an eye on that and everything else going on in the world of Linux and open source. So don't miss a single episode of this here Linux Action News. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. 
and linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. But don't report your CVEs to us, please. Our buddy Brent's doing it again. He's doing another meetup Friday, March 31st. It's also a Nextcloud Hackfest and a community introduction. Meet some of the developers and others. Details at meetup.com slash Broadcasting. And as for us, well, don't worry. We'll be back next week right here with our take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us. And that's all the news for this week.